Glad that you guys are able to participate with us, and we're just excited about some of the things that we can do today. I know you're at home still in your PJs, but we're glad to have you here with us today to be able to talk about God. We've been talking about in the face of danger, what happens. And today, in the face of danger, we fight. And I think that's one of the things that we have to recognize. Solomon talks in Ecclesiastes 3 about there being a time for war and a time for peace. It's the last phrase in the thing that he does as far as contrast. And I think all of us want that time for peace. None of us want a time for war. And yet sometimes that's the only recourse. Sometimes that's just what we have to do. And so in the face of danger, we fight. We want to look at one of the things that's important for us is a Bible story that is one that everybody knows very, very well, if you know any Bible story. And that's the story of David and Goliath. It's one of those classic stories that he tells. All the Philistines have gathered their army together against Israel because they have bigger guys and more people and better weapons. And so they're going to come and destroy Israel. Uh, they gather together. Uh, this was a very civilized time, I guess. One's on one side of a valley. Israel gathers their army, comes to the other side of the valley. If you know the story, Saul is a brand new king. He's there, but uh, there is a twist in this battle. And the twist is they've got a guy named Goliath who comes out and offers to fight one-on-one. -on -one. Goliath is intimidating. He's 10 feet tall. He has bigger weapons. He has more strength. He is impressive. And the thing that would happen is if you fought him and lost, then all of the people of Israel would be servants, slaves, really. And so you really don't want that to happen. That means everybody's afraid. Because they, they look at the size of Goliath and they look at their own sword, they think, I can't possibly do this. And so they're not thinking about what they are able to do. They're thinking about their own weakness. And they're really not thinking about what God's able to do. Well, if you're familiar with the story, you know it progresses and they go and they get ready for war. The passage we want to look at today is actually where they come to face each other. And so look at what happens as David walks out to face the giant. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 41, And the Philistine moved forward, and he came near David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked, he saw David, and he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts on the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know 
that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. What an impressive time. What an impressive set of trash talk as they come out and ready for battle. I think Goliath is, is just amazed. Of course, he has an armor bearer in front of him, a guy with a shield. David has no shield. He has no one in front of him. They come out to fight one-on-one, and as he comes out, he can't believe this is just like a little kid. Uh, he doesn't look like an experienced warrior. He doesn't look like he's very threatening. He doesn't look like he can do anything. He at least thought it would be a good fight. And so he starts the trash talk anyway. You're just a, you're just a kid. You, you, are you coming out with sticks? You don't have anything. There's no way you can fight. And then the great threat, I'm going to make you bird food. Well, David responds back to him, and David's got some trash talk of his own. He says, you come with a sword and a spear and a javelin. He says, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. And God's armies are here, and you have defied God's armies and the Lord's going to deliver you into my hand. And I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head, and the bodies of your army are going to be bird food, and for the beasts of the field. And all the earth will know there's a God in Israel, and all the assembly will know God doesn't save by a sword or a spear, but that God's given you into the hand, into my hand. And, and as you look at all this, David's pretty good at the trash talk, isn't he, really? But it's not just talk. You see, what's happened is David really believes this. And this is exactly what happens. He goes to fight Goliath. He's picked up the five smooth stones, four in the pouch, one in the sling. And the sling goes round and round, and the giant came falling down. You can sing the song now if you want to. I'm not going to trouble you with that. And it might have taken a minute for Israel to realize what happened because they're just looking and all of a sudden David runs over and takes his sword and cuts off his head. And then the realization sets in and all of Israel follows David into battle and they won against a far superior force. Well, how did they win? They won because the battle belonged to the Lord. And it wasn't about the weapons that you carry. And it wasn't about the strength that you have. And so you see this great victory that David has. It wasn't like there was another way to do it. He had to fight. And sometimes there is no other choice. They're already there for the battle. And uh, if you don't get ready for the battle, they're just going to come anyway. David didn't look at the size. He didn't look at the weapons. He had faith and he had a plan because he saw things differently. Didn't even take a sword. All he says, God is a sling. And yet, most of us know, a sling kills at a distance. And so he had a different way of looking at everything. And I want to suggest to you that's really what God does, is he has a different way of looking at things. And as we would go to battle or as we would fight, we would recognize there is a different way to win. I don't think we need to fight. Not all battles are, are designated battlefields. There's two armies. There's a challenge. The rules are defined. We're going to fight with each other. 
the one who wins, the one who loses, our battles are not so obvious. David wins the battle. That sets him up to be king later on. He is there to be the king. He is there to be the one who God looks at because he says, I came in the name of the Lord of hosts. And that's really what it's all about, is that when we recognize that we are able to come in God's name, that's what makes all the difference. There are a number of times when we do need to fight, and maybe it's not a, a personal enemy that would face us. Maybe it's a situation like a fire. It is an enemy, it is a threat, it has come to destroy us, and it is a danger to us. Or maybe it's a virus. It's come to destroy us, and yet there is a way to fight. And so we would find a different way to go about it. And so even though we're missing the oaky hugs, we always had Alaska bear hugs. Those were better. But whatever happens, God is the one who's in control. It's always better not to fight, but there are times when you need to. There's a time when Jesus went to battle, but it looks a lot different from the time of David. It's found in John chapter 2 and verse 13. The story goes like this. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and David went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so, yes, Jesus' battle looks a lot different. As he comes to the temple, it's a place where he had gone as a small boy to be able to learn to be able to ask questions, to be able to get insight, and to be able to worship God. But as he comes this time, he finds a place of business. It's where people have made a way for them to sell sacrifices and to change money, always at a profit, of course, and so it's not really much about worship to God or gaining greater insight into God. It's really more about making money, and that's all they have. And when Jesus sees, the same as David, how God is insulted by their actions, Jesus goes to battle. He is not going to put up with that. And he makes a whip of cords. It's probably not a dangerous whip of cords, but if you get hit by it, it's going to sting a lot, and so you're going to move. It's not a life-threatening whip of cords, but... Uh, He's probably going to get some people to move out of his way then. It's more than just saying something. And so he drives them out. He overturns the table. He pours out the money. He drives out all of the animals. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples then remember about zeal for God's house. Because this worship of God and this allegiance to God and this respect for God are all important. They are not treating God as the almighty, holy God who needs to be worshipped. 
And Jesus believes that's worth a fight. He doesn't do it every day. It isn't about going every time and making sure there's no one carrying change in their pockets through the temple. In fact, we know because at the end of his life, he does this again. And they've all come back to exactly the same place. And so his point is not that he can clear the temple of all money changing. His temple is we need to respect God. And that some things are worth a fight. And worship is one of those things. Not some of the little nitpicky things that we get into sometimes about how to do it and when to do it and where to do it and, and all of those things. But there needs to be a respect for God. There needs to be a reverence for Him as Lord and King. And we don't want anyone disrespecting God. There are some things He will not compromise. He's not political. He doesn't get involved in that but he is involved in the spiritual life of his nation. And he is going to do something about that. He does not fight for himself. He does not fight to build himself up, but he does fight for God because the Lord of hosts is his God and he works on God's initiative. He fights disease with a cure. And so he is able to cast out demons. He is able to heal disease. It's a very violent process that he goes through as he heals disease and as he casts out demons. And we want to look today at Mark chapter 9 where a father brings his son to Jesus. It's got to be a heartbreaking situation as this father comes to Jesus and brings his son because he's been demon-possessed from the time he was very, very small. And the father has tried to do everything that he could. Jesus has just come back from the transfiguration. He had left nine of his disciples there. And they had tried to cast out the demon and they had been unsuccessful. Every other time it had worked, but now it doesn't work. And so they don't know quite what to do. The man doesn't quite know what to do. And Jesus is in for a battle of faith. He's in so that people will believe. Look in Mark chapter 9, and let's start with verse 20. It says, And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Well, what a tragic story this is. We see people with the virus and we think this is a horrible thing, but this is so much worse to be literally possessed by a messenger of Satan. To be literally in his grasp so that you can't even speak without it being the words of the demon. And this demon happens to be deaf and mute, so we don't see any words come out of him. But he controls him. He controls every action. He does every kind of damage and harm to him that he possibly can. And here is a father who just tries to protect him. He puts him in danger so much. He causes him great pain. 
The demon is there to destroy. And he's tried. He's gone everywhere he can, taken all the antibiotics and they don't work. And it's just not making a difference. And so when Jesus reaches him, the man says, if you can do anything. And he thinks he's asking in hope. He thinks he's asking with the idea that, yes, Jesus, I think you'll be able to do something. So if you could, and Jesus is saying, why don't you have faith? Why don't you believe? Why don't you understand I am the Son of God? And you have come to the Son of God to be able to heal your son. And he immediately recognizes the problem. The problem is his own unbelief. And so sometimes I think we're, we're fighting ourselves. We're fighting for our own faith. And yes, we believe, but we don't quite believe enough. We don't quite believe that everything's going to be right and everything's going to happen. And so it's very difficult for us to, to believe in all of these things because he, this guy is just not confident enough. There's too much at stake. He's emotionally involved with his son and the battle is one of his own faith. He's done everything to protect his son, but it's very hard to believe when you've watched failure after failure after failure. And year after year that his son's had this condition that suddenly Jesus would be able to heal him. But when Jesus comes to a fight, you ought to be ready for a solution. How long did it take David to defeat an army? Well, it's all done in the same day. And when God is there, amazing things happen. Well, as Jesus watches, the passage goes on and says, And when Jesus saw a crowd came, come, a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And so Jesus casts out the demon. He commands and the demon has no choice but to leave. He had been saying that before, but now he commands and the demon leaves. But not before one last terrible thing to the boy so that it leaves him like he is dead. Whether he's actually dead or not, the people believe that he's dead. A loud cry, foaming at the mouth, convulsions, falling to the ground. It doesn't look like a healing at all. It looks like Jesus has killed him. But Jesus raises him up. And the dying disciples are questioning, why couldn't we do this? What happened to our faith? And Jesus says, this only comes out by prayer. And yet, as we look at the story, it's not a mechanical thing. Because nowhere in the story part is it recorded that Jesus stopped and prayed. 
it's not just, oh, well, the formula wasn't right. You didn't do it right. You should have prayed and he would have come out. Jesus doesn't pray, at least in what we have. And so I think he's talking about something more than just saying a prayer. He's talking about we need better communication with God. We need to understand God. We need to have prayed and prayed and been close to God all this time. And then perhaps those kind of things will happen. Prayer is a way to fight evil. I do think he's saying that. And Jesus sees this as a battle against evil. And he is able to throw evil out of people's lives. Sometimes he throws them out by casting out a demon. Sometimes he throws out evil by forgiveness and grace. And he's able to take a deaf and mute demon out of a boy that has done great damage to the boy and controls his actions. It's an obvious evil right in front. But Jesus is just as able to take the sin out of our life. The sin that seems to control us so much. The sin that seems to make us feel so guilty and give us such issues. It's not such an obvious sin and it isn't written on our face and people may not see it or know it, but we know it's there. And we need Jesus to heal. And Jesus needs us to fight. To fight to get rid of that. I do not believe there are demons around today. As you look at Scripture, that's another discussion. No one forces you into sin. No one takes control like this demon took control of a boy, but there is still evil in the world. And while Jesus has overcome it, the rest of us are still in this world, and we still fight against evil, and we do have a fight on our hands. But we will win by Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual battle. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Well, Paul writes to a church about the battle that they're having. It is not an obvious battle. But he says, I want you to know that the enemy is real and I want you to know the enemy is there and I want you to know you have something you can do about it. And so he tells them to put on this armor of God. This armor of God that's going to protect them. It's not an offensive armor where he's able to go and, and attack someone. It's more of a defensive armor where all the things that Satan would throw against us are not going to destroy us. That you would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because we don't wrestle against just physical things. It's not a giant that is huge and overpowering us, but it's a force that is huge. It's rulers, authority, cosmic powers of the present darkness. Wow. Doesn't that sound ominous? It sounds like something that is horrible. 
spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I thought we just had evil in evil places. He says, no, even sometimes in the good places, Satan has come in. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God. And once you've done all of that, what I want you to do is stand firm. That's the objective. That's what he wants, is not to be able to go out and destroy evil. That is not our task and not the one he gives us. He says, I want you to stand firm for God, to stand firm for who you believe God is. Jesus is defending the temple of God. And we are to stand firm, not questioning, if you can, God, can you please, God? But we are to stand firm knowing God is there. Knowing God is able to win any battle we are facing. Knowing God is able to overcome any force that comes against us. Knowing that God has the power of truth and righteousness. Yes, Satan's around. He is. But our faith is in God and we win the battle because we stand firm. Ours is a battle for the mind, for the way that we think, and it gets a little bit harder trying to be around the same people every day, doesn't it? You know, we're used to being able to get out and go, and, and we're not cooped up with the same people all the time, and so that might be a battle, because now it's 24-7, isn't it? It seems like they're always getting in your way and always making noise and always leaving stuff out and always, and they're just aggravating and annoying, and if you forget that those are the people that you love, Satan is going to get in and cause a problem. And so ours is a battle for the mind. We fight for love. That's where our battle is, to show the love of God to everyone. It's a battle for behavior and action. We can't just do anything we want. We need to be able to act like Jesus. We need to be able to love the people that we're around. Most of us are quarantined with people that we love. Don't let that be an issue. Let that be a joy. Because after all, this ought to be the best time to build those relationships ever. It's a battle for our attitude, that our attitude would be like Jesus. Our attitude would be like we are the ones who want to serve others. We're not a victim of anything, and we show our gratitude and our grace as we show our patience and our willingness to give to other people. And it's also a battle for worship. Full is not this building. God's temple is wherever you are, and his temple still stands. And Jesus would still defend that temple of who we are, that we are the temple of God, and that collectively as we gather, we are the temple of God, and it's not found here in this building, but that we are serious about God and about our relationship with Him. His temple is still in His church as we join together in hearts and minds with Jesus. Because after all, Jesus has won the victory. He is our strength, and it's all in Him. My prayer today is that you will be able to be like Jesus. You will act like Jesus. You will see that whenever any struggle comes up, 
that you will realize a battle is at hand and you will fight like Jesus fought. May God bless you.